Hey, Maggie, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Can everybody hear me okay? We can. We can. Sorry about the technical issues there, but excited to have you. It's okay. I troubleshooted really fast. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone's uh, ed education, we had uh, some technical difficulties. Even even uh, technologists, right, still have challenges. So, um, thankfully. <laughs> Exactly, Justin. Well, thanks everyone for being here today. Uh, we're going to jump right in. We know we got still got people coming in to the panel, uh, but today's panel is really all around uh, cybersecurity um, and really gaining some insights from some security leaders from banks and credit unions. So we're going to do some introductions uh, real quick uh, before we jump into our conversation. Uh, first, my name is Taylor Wells. I'm with Reveal. Um, I work on in the marketing um, arena. And a uh, fun fact about me is uh, my first job was working on a political campaign, multiple political campaigns. And I won't tell you which party it is because half of you will probably log out. Um, so yeah, fun fact about me. Um, so I'll turn it over to Lucas, who's also my counterpart as well uh, for hosting this event. Lucas, mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Excited today and very grateful to have um, just some awesome experts from different banks and credit unions. So excited for you guys to meet them, hear from them. Um, I'll mention, too, you know, don't hesitate to to ask questions as we go through this. Um, but my name is Lucas Hathaway. I've been with Rivial for over nine years now, uh, working with financial institutions on a lot of risk and compliance projects. Um, so excited to dive in today, ask these guys questions and really get their their insights firsthand. And fun fact about me, um, I was actually doing audio engineering before cybersecurity and was nominated for three Grammys, but Keaton on our team will often counter that with, but I've never won one. So that'll be my fun fact for today. That's awesome. Thanks, Lucas. I did not know that. That's awesome. Uh, David, am I introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm... David Armstrong. I'm AVP of Information Security at Rogue Credit Union. I've been at Rogue for almost three years and been in this role for about 10 months. Uh, I have a BS degree in cybersecurity and information assurance and a bunch of certs to go with it. And a fun fact about me, kind of fitting in the vein of this, um, I have a home lab and I've uh, ransomwareed it a couple of times. I've uh, tried, I tried to steal all the copies of phishing emails that aren't credential harvesting. And I've cloned three C2 staging web servers in the last two years. It's a lot of fun when I'm, you know, bored at home on Friday nights. That's awesome. Thanks, David. Justin, you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Justin Smith. I'm the Director of Information Technology for Dell One Federal Credit Union. Uh, Dell One is the largest credit union in the state of Delaware, which probably isn't saying much since it's Delaware. Um, I've been working in the CU industry for about 13 years. I have some experience with IT management, uh, information security governance, uh, as well as some employee development and strategic planning. Uh, fun thing about me, I, I like to run 5Ks with my 10-year-old daughter, and which is a cool parenting thing, kind of the first couple of years we did it, because you're really, you're, you're bringing them along, you're coaching them, you know, but this was the first year where I felt like it was kind of you know, her looking at me saying, why, why are you breathing like that, dad? You know, come, come on. So it's been a bit of a struggle outside of there, but that, that's my fun fact. Thanks, Justin. That's awesome. I remember when uh, it was a sad day when I could outrun my father. So it was like, oh, my hero is, uh, is no longer my hero in that arena. <laughs> so I can relate to that. 
Ma- Ma- last but not least, Maggie, you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Sure. So my name is Maggie Byers. I'm the director of information security at Mascoma Bank, um, or you know, a large institution up in the Vermont, New Hampshire area. It's really beautiful around this time of year. And um, my fiance and I actually own a home with three and a half acres. So we love watching things like bears and deer. And this year we actually had a wild boar come visit us. So we get a lot of wildlife, which is nice to to see. But um, I've been at Mascoma Bank for about 17 years now. And I started in the IT area probably 2016. So a couple days. Very cool. Thanks, Maggie. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into the discussion today. Uh, Like Lucas mentioned, this will be recorded. So uh, if you want to share it with your team afterwards, or if you can't stay for the whole event, you, we will be expect, expect an email from us after the event with the recording. Um, also, we love your questions and we love this to be a participatory event. So please send your questions in the Q&A uh, section throughout the event. Lucas will be fielding those uh, and we'll try to save some time towards the end of the event to, to cover those questions. So thanks everyone again for being here. Let's jump right in. Maggie, I'd love to start with you. Um, kind of this question 2023, right? Uh, the world has changed uh, as it constantly is. I'd love to hear from you. Um, what's changed in 2023 for you as it relates to cybersecurity, just high level, either risks, trends, compliance requirements, et cetera? Sure. Um, so I spent uh, the last couple of years with my team really focusing on getting ahead of compliance requirements because compliance is really the floor for us, right? Like you want to do what's right. And if you do what's right, then the compliance just kind of follows you along. Um, So really what I've noticed and what the challenges are now is that on the threat side, things are starting to pile up on top of each other, right? So stuff that we never thought of before, like uh, SolarWinds was a while ago, right? But then we got the Log4j vulnerability. And then now, you know, it's the Move It transfer, um, you know, security breach. So it's like, Everything that we didn't think of before is now piling up on threats that we are still worried about from five, 10 years ago. Um, So really that's what it is for me. Like trying to get us ahead of the game is almost impossible, but trying to not get run over is like the main goal for right now. Thanks for sharing. David, I saw you nodding your head a lot. Anything to add on to that question? Um, Yeah. You know, one of the areas we, we, struggled with or were working on this year was we went out for RFP for new cyber insurance policy and going into 2023, we had seen a number of articles from high level insurers saying, Hey, cyber risk is probably going to no longer be insurable in the upcoming future. Um, that was a little concerning for us. And so as we went for RFP, we, we had a lot of questionnaires come back and these were as technical, in some cases, more technical than our compliance requirements. And that actually scared me a little bit because, you know, you're looking at these and reviewing them and saying, what what are we able to do? We've met the compliance piece, but now we're being asked more detailed questions. And one of our insurers, actually, we had a long chain back and forth about uh, detailed stuff around their security stack. And, um, I, you know, I think that's that's demonstrating that the risk is increasing. Uh, and yes, with the move it vulnerability and that compromise, I think that just demonstrates the increased risk that's happening and the fact that it's in a high dollar amount for us. So thanks for sharing. Justin, anything, any thoughts on that 
question and that's been shared. Sure. Yes. Um, I really resonate with what Maggie said there. I, I think she's absolutely right at how sometimes it's just unrelenting how, how we just keep getting one thing after the X and how your, your job is to stay on top of those things. And uh, several of the vulnerabilities are out there. I think we've, this has been happening for a while, but I think in 2023, it's also at how, not that you shouldn't be, but how comfortable folks are with the move of just everything is, is seemingly going to the cloud. And folks are so trusting of, uh, you hear AWS or Azure or GCP, and you think they have so many resources and um, how easy that's supposed to be to, to swallow. So we've put a lot of our uh, compliance efforts into vendor due diligence. And just because they're a big name data center or, or you're, you're buying a product and they're, they just hope to say like, oh, we're hosted in, in, in AWS. You don't have anything to worry about. Um, really following up on that fourth party relationship, we spend a lot of efforts uh, monitoring um, really the, these moves that they've happened. And it seems like a natural progression. I don't think it's the wrong way to go, um, but the acceptance has become so easy. Uh, you've had to take those resources to really work on that because they could have the same type of issues that you have with vulnerabilities or especially mis misconfigured uh, permissions or access controls, things of that nature. So we spend a lot of time focusing on that as, as kind of a, a trend that keeps growing and I don't foresee that slowing down. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, so we've... I... Go ahead, Lucas. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I just had a follow-up question. I, you know, because I know that is so pressing for a lot of people on the call right now. And um, with the fourth party relationships, like you mentioned, Justin, like maybe, maybe you don't work with move it and didn't weren't affected by it directly, but maybe one of your vendors was, how are you guys approaching that? Like those fourth party relationships and trying to stay, you know, cause you can only go so far down the chain. What are you guys doing to kind of try and stay proactive with that? You do. And it, and it is a, it is a struggle sometimes because a lot of these vendors, especially the larger ones, they're not just hosting applications in one data center. They have relationships all over the place. It may be the main product that you're buying. You know, yeah, that product runs on AWS, but they have stuff and in, 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 in GCP or other services like that. So um, on a base level, we do um, on the on the big three, if you want to call it that. Right. We do annual due diligence. We actually contract even a third party to do due diligence on those providers as well, just so that we can tie those back to our vendors as they come on, so that doesn't get stagnant. And also we just have to have that relationship with the vendors. You know, there is some amount of this that can't be automated or, or outsourced that when you get an alert like move it, and it really is like, hey, this is an all hands on deck. We have to go to that list of critical vendors, which we, which we have documented and we reach out to every one of them and say, are you affected by it? So that just kind of comes with the territory and making that a priority is extremely important. Um, and it's especially in our industry, in the financial industry, you, you have you have that responsibility as the stewards of the, the members and the shareholders money to to make sure of that. So it's a lot of hands on. It's a lot of your time, unfortunately, but being proactive with it is the best thing. We don't wait for them to notify us. We, we reach out to them. Awesome. Super cool. Thanks for sharing, Justin. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about risk and and in combating that um, compliance. Any any thoughts? Maybe we'll start with David. Um, any thoughts on compliance and how is it changing in twenty twenty three and moving into twenty twenty four? What are you looking to do to make sure you ensure compliance? Absolutely. Um, you know, Rogue Credit Union has a really strong compliance program. Um, you know, maybe a slight plug here. We use Rivial's data security platform. And uh, that keeps track of all of our compliance tasks and things we need to stay on. 
one area that that we actually made some changes around controls was our password policy and i had really struggled with this because you know i know that i make weaker passwords when i have to change them every 90 days and i had read a number of years ago the nist 800-63b um, that's on uh, memorized secrets and, and passwords basically and I remember going through it and it was like, hey, don't make password changes something that you have to do all the time. Don't make that an every 90 day process because we as humans just tend to make worse passwords. They become things that either we add little pieces to it at the end or you know, we use something that makes them too easy. And so we actually went through this process where we moved that whole control uh, around our password policy um, and we faced the examiner with it just about a month ago. And they raised some eyebrows at first when we talked about it. Uh, but when we demonstrated the evidence where, you know, we, we have passwords that are at least 12 characters, we're checking against commonly used words, we're checking against compromised passwords, and we're MFAing as much as we can. That really gave them a lot of assurance that that control was good. And um, it ultimately has been a, a good thing for us. I, I got frustrated uh, actually over the last year or two where occasionally we would see users that would accidentally type in a password in Teams because they didn't realize they were in the wrong window. And I would see these over and over again and I'd see how weak they were. And so we're now at a spot where we're making really, really good passwords. And so that's a control that the compliance control that we've hit and that's changed quite a bit in the last year or so. Thanks for sharing, David. Justin, any thoughts on compliance and things you're doing differently now or looking to do different in the future? Sure. I'll, I'll add some even to David's response there, which because I feel what he's saying there on passwords and kind of the importance of that. I think at this point in time, probably everybody that's that's watching this has a password solution now out to their environment. You know, before you were really trying to get folks to adopt that. And now I think that that's the norm. And we've really it's it's a slow process, but making incremental changes kind of in that, not only the adoption, but I know the solution that we use, it'll tell the user um, how many passwords have you reused? And we actually see that. And it'll tell us how many passwords are weak. And we can set that criteria to kind of incrementally get them to, to adopt that. So that is a big focus. And I know uh, when, when the federal examiners came on site, they were extremely impressed for us to be able to show reports of, here was our adoption rate this time last year. Here's where we're at. Here's our password strength, and here's where we're at. So that's a great place to focus. Uh, for, for Dell One, and um, I think we, last year, we spent a lot of time trying to dive into, it was kind of a hot term right then, was continuous vulnerability management. You know, the idea that we weren't just scanning once a quarter to, to see what the vulnerabilities are, if the patching was working, you know, it's more of this ongoing thing. And we've kind of expanded that scope into the realm of continuous compliance, which I know is another hot word, but um, it, it is important. I think historically, a, a lot of folks in the financial industry, you kind of get that date when the examiners are coming and you're on your scramble, right? Give me the request list. Let me get all these things. And like 10% of it I'm creating right there, I'm creating right now. And uh, really trying to get past that and make that a living ecosystem and Keep that not just the, the the documents, not just about documentation, but making sure that those areas that fit within that uh, compliance uh, inside of compliance are updated in real time. So that way you're always prepared. And there's other kind of positive results that come from 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 adopting that. So uh, us two are planning in 2024 to pick up Rivial's continuous compliance 
uh, offering to kind of help further what we're doing now a lot in spreadsheets and hopefully automate some of that and, and make it even better. So I think that's that's a big focus for us. And that's the stuff the examiners really like to hear. Super cool. Justin, just to dive a little bit deeper in there, you mentioned there's other benefits uh, from continuous compliance. Maybe you want to elaborate a little bit. Uh, you can probably guess, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's my, it's my sanity, really. That's what <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's it's not just that. I mean, as we I've I've been here for 13 years and I've seen a lot. We've essentially doubled in size since I've been here. And I've seen the idea of like when I when I started, we didn't have a true internal audit department, for an example. And we've grown into that. And, and now it used to be, hey, we had this annual audit. Thing. Now there's examiners from some department that are doing some type of exam all the time. And as the, we talked about the move to the cloud before even progressive uh, progresses, that means that these other departments that I'm not. IT was more kind of shielded from. We're supporting them. We talk about accounting or lending. Well, now their exams questions are coming to me. They're coming to IT for information security because those products are in the cloud. They're hosted and we're the ones setting those security um, rules and standards for those applications. So having that continuous compliance just even makes that process easier because if, if you're not focused on that, boy, it can be it, it's a big, I hate to call it an interruption, but it, that's what it is when you have other, you know, when you're trying to run a business, it, it's hard sometimes to say, hey, I got to work on comp compliance things. It's, it's difficult. So it, it's a lot of benefits there. Thanks for sharing. Maggie, any thoughts on compliance and, and uh, 20, in 2023 and then moving into 2024? Yeah. So just to give some background, I actually, um, before I, I went into the IT area. I was in loan servicing for quite a while. Um, and then I moved into risk management and compliance. So I dealt a lot with audits. And my experience going into IT was, oh my gosh, there's not a lot of controls here that are documented. There's a lot of controls, but nothing's documented. So then I started facilitating the audits and, and just like we mentioned before, a lot of it was created on the spot or, you know, we're recreating evidence that already should exist and some of it should be automated. So um, in 2017, we actually had a resource dedicated. Um, she had 10 years of compliance experience. And um, when she came in, she said the same thing. She's like, this is the most extensive audit I've ever done. You know, so when you have 200 controls for an IT control audit, it becomes very daunting. Um, but we were able to move that into looking at trends, um, really analyzing where are the audit findings coming from and why do we have so many reoccurring findings? So we were able to get to root cause and by applying, you know, analysis to the audit function, we were able to really like nail in on, on what controls needed work, what controls needed automation um, and really work with the, the technical resources to get those in place and fixed. And one of the other controls that we put in place to kind of help reduce reoccurring audit findings um, is creating a feedback loop. So anytime that, say, you own a system and you say, sure, I've remediated this audit finding, somebody else has to look at it to make sure that we actually have the evidence to prove that that audit finding is remediated. So we added that addi additional um, check in there as well. So going forward, we're hoping to um, use evidence as 
kind of the, okay, when you have a piece of evidence in place, how many controls does that actually check off? Because that's another thing we found is you get five audits that are all asking for the same piece of evidence. Well, instead of reproducing that every single time, we were going to leverage Reveal Data Security's platform so that we could actually hold that evidence in place and just download it whenever we need to. Because yes, all of the audits from all of the areas of the bank are now coming our way as well. Thanks for sharing, Maggie. That's great. Yeah. To dive a little bit deeper, we've uh, a couple of you mentioned examiners, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, everyone's thoughts. Maybe we can start start with you, Maggie, of uh, anything you're hearing that's different in this this year, 2023, um, to, to previous years of what examiners are asking for or um, yeah, any anything insights you can you can relate to the rest of the audience? Sure. So for us, um, a lot of it is projects and acquisitions and what we're doing internally um, on that front. So it's a little bit specialized to to what our initiatives are for the bank. Um, but outside of that, they they want to make sure our audit scope is accurate. Our internal audit scope is accurate. Um, and vendor management, third-party management is always the, you know, hot topic for sure. Thanks for sharing. David, any thoughts on examiners and, and what you're seeing changes? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we just came from the new ICE examination model and um, similar to what we've had with the ASET and some of the other past models, but a little bit different. And um we thought we had a really good game plan going into the exam for our document collection process. Um, and that game plan kind of changed up the way they requested documents, but it wasn't terrible. Um, one of the things that we, that came out of a lot of discussions though, was vendor management and third-party risk. And uh, Rogue has a, a really well done program to manage vendor management. We've got some analysts that, that handle that to part of our enterprise risk department. And, um, the InfoSec team works really closely with them. We actually came out really well on that area, but they asked a lot of questions on in that area. Um, and so I think that's, that's going to be an ongoing thing. And we had a, a brief uh, conversation, especially around move it, you know, our exam was recent. So the move it breach was kind of fresh in mind. And so um, talked about how we respond to that. And so I think those are those kind of questions and, and details they're looking for and, and digging up information around. So thanks for sharing, David. Justin, thoughts on examiners? Yeah, our, our, our last examination was pretty intense. Um, we had two dedicated Rizzo's for what felt like a month. And, you know, generally we have, we have a pretty good security stack at, at Dome One. You know, they didn't come in with a lot of findings from the previous exam that they could highlight on, which is generally sometimes what you'll see them, them, them do. And to be frank, I also feel like, I don't know if everybody experienced this, but I think we'll call them the COVID exams. I think the exams that we had during the pandemic were a little lighter. Maybe some of that was resource related, but they just, they were. I mean, you still had the same amount of calls, but it didn't feel like they went as deep. And now they've kind of been let let loose. Like we had two Rizzos. And when I asked why, what the purpose was, because we didn't grow that much in size, they just said, well, we had extra resources. And okay, cool. Um, so you're, you're correct. One of the things when they, they came in 
Uh, they focused a lot on on vendor management. They, that seems to be a reoccurring thing. Uh, we spent a lot of time discussing the risk assessment, which is just you're kind of at the mercy of what the examiner on site thinks is an appropriate risk assessment. And then this year they did a lot with asset management too, which I'm, I'm on board with. I feel like they really kind of thought that was the uh, the basis for everything else you were building upon is you need to know your environment. If, if you're going for everything else that you're doing, you need to know everything that's on your network, which is not that we don't agree with that, but I felt like they were on that. But so I think everything that was highlighted, those are accurate, but it, it's, it's safe to say that anybody else here could start their exam next week and have some examiners that either just came from a conference and they have <laughs> their, their new conference initiative or there's there's something that they're passionate about. And in, in, in my case, one of the RISOs even told me that, hey, the, the, the other individual you're going to speak to is very passionate about the risk assessment. Be prepared. And they kind of set the tone and, and they and they weren't joking. And, you know, I appreciate I appreciate that from, from that individual. But um, th those that was what our experience was like. Thanks for sharing. That's great. Let's switch gears a little bit and kind of move into technology. You've a couple you've already mentioned uh, Reveal's uh, technology platform. I would love to hear in general, it could be Reveal, it could be other solution providers. What technology is really helping you manage your risk, your compliance, and your overall cybersecurity? And let's start with you, Maggie. Sure. Um, so... I mean, that's just an, such an open question too. Like we have so many technical controls. Um, I would say if I if I just focus on, let's say the governance aspect of the information security program, right? So our risk assessments, um, you know, our auditors. Uh, so Reveal Data pl Platform, I think we started that maybe two years ago um, and really getting into the IT assets and identifying all of the basically the the value and the worth of those assets, but also identifying the control um, gaps that we might need to address sooner rather than later. So that was a really big win. It helped us communicate more effectively to upper management and the board of like, okay, we think we're seeing this thing, but here's actual numbers to go with that. And this is what it means from a business standpoint. So that was a big win. Um, we also partner with um, CyberGRX to monitor our third parties. So they, they look at, um, you know, basically risk assess our vendors without having to do a huge questionnaire with them. It's more like looking on the dark web, um, seeing any vulnerabilities or, or potential gaps in controls. Um, so those two have been like probably the largest between them and, and Black Hills Information Security has done some um, CIS control audits for us, but they also do our pen testing and we just love their culture. Um, so I think having great auditors in your back pocket is really helpful internally to kind of back up and validate, you know, what what you're seeing. Because sometimes I'm, I'm, I just think, am I too close to this and am I overreacting? And then I have them come in and, and kind of do some testing. I'm like, okay, no, I'm for real. Cool. <laughs> you know? Love it. Justin, any thoughts on technology? Sure. Um, I think in the past few years, we've seen a couple, uh, a good number of new uh, technologies either shift gears or try to get in this kind of GRC market. I know, um, well, we don't use them. I've seen demos for like Logic Gate or Logic Monitor. They're trying to accomplish the same thing. Dell One does use uh, the Reveal platform currently, 
um, in, in certain aspects in it. We don't use it to its full potential, but we've been building upon that. Uh, we, we talked about vendor management before where we've shifted to using Venminder, which is kind of a more comprehensive vendor management solution. And they have some add-ons that will complete some of the tasks that Matt, Maggie was discussing there, which is really neat on, on staying on top of it. So we're always kind of in, in, in the market and you know the importance of those tools to really be able to communicate information to the C-suite and to the board and things of that nature is, is, is very important. Um, in terms of technology, I also want to put a, a kind of a mini plug to something called Norex. I don't know if everybody is familiar with that. Norex is like a vendor-free IT peer community. We've been a member of it for four or five years. It is at a, at a cost, um, but you can really get together with individuals um, in the IT security space or IT space, and they have events even pertaining to GRC uh, type programs or, or vulnerability management, whatever you want monthly. And sometimes they're regional ones where you can kind of hear about folks uh, positive and negative relationships to to all the products that are out there and as they shift kind of what they're working on and stuff like that. So um, that that's a good resource when you're in the market for those type of tools. Super cool, Justin. Thanks for thanks for that shout out uh, for that other resource too. And um, super great. David, thoughts on technology and solutions you're using? Yeah, actually, Justin started the conversation a little bit ago talking about asset management. And that was it's something we were doing with spreadsheets and, you know, asset management's a pain, right? It's like you have endpoints that you get a number out of, you get active directory, you get a number out of, you get um, other things you get numbers out of, and then you try to figure out what, what is really out there. Uh, and previously before I was AVP, I was an analyst and I was like, told my boss, we need to know everything on the network and I'm just going to start running scans. And uh, we pray I don't break anything. Uh, I didn't. But um, in the process, we, we identified a, a software called Run Zero, and Run Zero is, is a network scanner, and it goes across all the networks. We plug in the subnets, we, we build these little explorers, and today I can tell you, oh yeah, we know what's on our network, we know what assets we have, um, we know what, what they are, we know where they're at, we know uh, devices, I don't know who has like IPAM solutions where you, you, they require some manual updating and you're like, oh yeah, what's that IP for that device? With this tool, we just, we put in the IP address, we find the, the item, we get it linked to all the other IPs that it may have, you know, those routers and whatever that have lots of different NICs. And so um, that was a tool that really changed our game for, for asset management to say that we absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt what we have there. And uh, part of the reason we got that was because that my initial scan, I found somebody had plugged in an Amazon Fire Stick into a thing, and that was like, oh yeah, that shouldn't have happened. Um, and you know, we we had controls around it, but somehow it missed the controls. We didn't have a good identification of it, and so we now can say, oh yeah, we know we know what's on the network. So cool, very cool stuff. That's awesome. Um, so we got about another ten minutes or so of this discussion, folks. If you have questions, please submit them in the Q and A. Uh, we'll have some time towards the end to answer the questions. Um, just two more questions for the for our panel. Um, number one, is there anything else from like have a proactive standpoint? I know proactive has been a key word through a lot of uh, your discussions as far as uh, whether it's compliance or risk. Uh, but I'd just love to hear anything else that comes to mind as far as just being proactive and trying to stay, stay ahead of the curve when it comes to risk um, or compliance. And so, Justin, we'll start with you. Anything else that comes to mind that hasn't been shared today that you'd love that would be helpful for the audience? I, this is going to, I can't stress enough 
the importance of establishing good, strong vendor relationships. This is the big lifesaver. Often we see, I think, that the quality of even the the folks on the sales team to the relationship managers, to the practitioners, um, and that if you can build these good relationships and find trusted individuals, because a lot of us run probably a lean team, right? Everybody wants something done yesterday. If you want to be proactive in cybersecurity and you still want to meet your other deadlines, you want to be a successful professional, (laughs) basically, um, establishing those relationships. And that's part of due diligence as well. But understanding that a lot of times these these streets are two-way streets is very important. Uh, I would say the majority of Dell One vendors that have some level of professional services that we have, I've had for going on 10 plus years. And a lot of them, they have low turnover. I ask that type of question when we when we bring them on, what, what's your turnover like? Because I want to know, am, am I going to have a new account rep every week? And when you can do that, that, that I know I may not be asked, answering that question as specific as maybe what you were going, but that, in terms of being proactive, that is a lifesaver. We, we look at not only Rivial that way, but several of the, the PS vendors we use, and even in, in the security realm, some of our security providers, um, we're not afraid to pivot. We don't hold that over their head, but we use that. Um, and and that's, that's a big part of just staying on top of everything that we've discussed today. So I definitely want to highlight that is, is know, know your vendors when they're in town and they say, hey, I want to stop by and go get coffee. Please do it. Like those things are, are very important with helping you be successful and, and ultimately be proactive, which in turn is successful. So. Super cool, Justin. I love that. They're like your eyes and ears and they're almost extending your reach, extending your um, even your your knowledge, right? They're able to give you insights. I'm sure that you wouldn't be able to get if you didn't have those close relationships. Super cool. Maggie, I'd love to hear from you. Anything proactive that you're like, you mentioned pro- a couple of proactive things earlier, but Anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, from from my experience, you know, kind of dovetailing onto what Justin was alluding to or talking about, um, knowing what your values are as a department um, is very important for not only holding your employees accountable, but for also holding your vendors accountable. So meaning like high ethics, obviously, in our in our line of work for information security, um, you know, being able to generate that that family feel no matter how big you get and being real and authentic as people to really be, um, you know, trendsetters to, to, so that people will listen and come to you when there is an issue. So you're not the boy calling, you know, a wolf, you know. So having those relationships throughout your organization as well with knowing what you can't do Um, what you want to outsource. Um, For me, it's always, you know, I call it the three layers. You have the operational, the tactical, and the strategic. So you need to decide which of those elements do you want in-house. So we decided we're going to keep strategic, which means we might need consultants, but let's outsource the operational work. Um, so, So really thinking of it from that side of what type of partnership do you want, and then holding your vendors accountable as if they were your own employees is super important. Thanks, Maggie. David, any thoughts on being proactive? Yeah, I think building solid relationships, good relationships with internal stakeholders uh, and other teams inside of the organization. 
one of the challenges that that we've had in the past is our project team will will come up with some project they want to do this thing and they haven't gone through the process of identifying what's the information or IT concerns they might have said hey we can bring this up we can bring a server up but we haven't looked at where the data flows are at and we haven't looked at if it's really PCI compliant or or whatever the the compliance piece might be and so as I've worked harder to tell teams, I want to be the guy that says yes, but I know that to say yes, we might have to do certain things. And so bring me in as soon as you can so that we can identify how I can get to a yes and how we can make sure that we're doing the right things. Because I recognize, and I tell our teams this, I recognize that they don't want to have like a lack of security there 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 are members just as much as are the employees and so you know they don't want to have the high risk they don't want to have the the challenges they just don't always understand that and so you know if my job is to help them get to a spot where we can say yeah we can do these things we understand what the compliance requirements are we understand security concerns the faster we can move those things forward and and i think that that philosophy and that approach has really helped inside of the organization move forward with things and, and make things better and David, you know what I found um, helps with that is I started giving trigger words to people. <laughs> so like, if you hear this, I need to be involved. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. That's super cool. I love that. What are Great. some of those words, Maggie? Well, um, so the most popular one is is when a vendor is like, oh, it's so easy. You guys don't have to maintain anything. Well, it's all in the cloud. That's usually when we would be overlooked and people wouldn't think about it. So, you know, yeah. anytime that the vendor, anytime that there's a vendor contract or service agreement, we're like, yep, that has to go here. Once you see a contract, that means that there's something going on and we want to know about it. You know, um, and the other one is data classification. So if you see this data matched with this data, we need to know where is it going? How is it protected? So. That's that's awesome. I think that's a really cool approach to have kind of those specific, <laughs> you hear these keywords, these key phrases, or see this situation, you know, let, let us know right away. I think that's a good way to approach it because I think, as you know, there is a lot of that that gets, that gets missed. Super cool. Uh, thanks everyone for sharing. So we got one more topic before we wrap up and head into Q and a, um, and this has been obviously all over the news, um, in general, not even in the cybersecurity world, but AI and artificial intelligence. I'd love to hear from you all. Uh, where do you see the positives of AI coming in, um, to combat cybersecurity risk and, and compliance? Uh, but then also the negatives, where do you see, um, from your own research, obviously it's still, um, yeah, there's still a lot worth discovering and and with generative AI and whatnot. But uh, love to hear your thoughts on on what you see as possible risk factors and also the upsides. I'll start with you, David. Well, possible upsides, you know, that's really helped some of my analysts. I don't know who here loves writing regex queries. I do not. I'm not good at them. And, you know, I cut and paste them from the Internet. And, you know, we all know that those are the kind of things that when you're configuring things, it, it you need that kind of that information. And so we've had a couple of times where my analysts have said, oh yeah, I just, you know, put in, I need a regex query for this and out pops the right regex query. It works right out of the box or with minimal tweaking. And so those kind of things that we've seen some real increase in productivity 
um, both in our operations teams and our infosec teams. Um, from the negative side, we actually have two things that that I I've seen. We've had had an increase in phishing campaigns that appear vastly more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. We had a, an email that looked and tried to appear as if it came from the CEO, and underneath it was a back and forth from a um, foundation that was trying to get appeal appeal for money from Rogue Credit Union. And then it, this email address sent an email to our accounting team saying, hey, it uh, looks like your CEO approved this. We need to work out the details of getting the money. It was probably printed off three to four pages of content back and forth. And I guarantee that no one would have handwritten that. Um, the only way to make that cost effective is, is using AI. Um, so that's one area we've seen. And we've seen other phishing emails come through that traditionally phishing emails would get flagged and now they're, they're passing. Uh, so there's one area. The second area, um, I actually, early on in December last year, I was screwing around the chat GPT and I actually wrote a clipboard scraper in PowerShell and I did it in about 20 minutes and, and had it fully functioning in 20 minutes time uh, to the extent that uh, like I could exfiltrate data and avoid our DLP protection. And that freaked me out enough that I stopped and I said, um, you know, if we can advance programming by using things like AI, that's good for programmers writing good stuff. And that's also programmers writing bad stuff. And so um, that's a little scary for me. So uh, I left it at that. I I stopped that project and said, nope, no more. (laughs) Thanks for sharing, David. Justin, thoughts on AI? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's all about data. Um, the main strength of AI and, and maybe how security companies or products will uh, use it is going to be in how it manipulates data and provides actual information in, in really such a short period of time. So I think the main benefit we'll see quickly is probably from those efficiencies. Uh, you're just going to get results faster, uh, hopefully more digestible data, uh, and possibly some of these tools will uncover uh, new threats that maybe some legacy security tools or soon to be legacy security tools are not able to find, or they take longer to alert on, right? Because it's just going to be quicker um, with how it works. Uh, negative, uh, you know, I guess the obvious obvious answer would be a, just a new tool, like the, what David was was referring to as a new tool for bad actors to use. But I think from the business standpoint, we're also in line for just some growing pains. Uh, I think questions about risks often take more to answer than questions about usage. So you know, new technology always looks good when you're window shopping, but now everybody feels like they have to add AI into their stuff. So I, I think we're going to have some unexpected results just from everything being kind of so new. And it's not that AI is new. I mean, AI has been around, you know, the email spam, that's what it is. It's, it's a artificial intelligence, but now just the way it's, it's being used um, in our industry as well. I think we have to look at out obviously for the theft of intellectual property or, or, or PII, I guess, in, in most of our cases, and then kind of the, the one that really gets me, and, and I don't know how big of an issue this will be for us, it's yet to be seen, but it's probably the re- reliability of information. I always find that humorous is, is I think that individuals believe that when I put something into chat GPT, it's so smart and it's getting its information from the authority that what you're getting out is 100% true. It's the same thing as going to Google and searching and then seeing your citations but you, you don't get the citations and you don't know if they got it from page one or, or page 5,000 of Google. So I have a lot of concerns about, about that, about how reliable 
at least what's available today and maybe how people are using it and just taking its word for, for gold, I think is very concerning. Um, and, and I think we kind of, you almost have to even ask your teammates or your internal individuals like, hey, are you using this? Or this email looked really professional. <laughs> you know, what's that? Did you write this? You know, try not to, to offend them. But I, uh, that those are my concerns. I think we're going to see that. Thanks, Justin. Maggie, any thoughts on uh, AI? Yeah, I don't have, have much more to add as to what's already been discussed. Yeah, we've been using AI technology within our security stack for a while now. Um, you know, we, we get requests for other departments to use it. And yeah, just as Justin was saying, um, it's really about the information that's being gathered and making sure that it's not um, fed on biases as well. Um, that's another you know, when you when you have the marketing team going out and using these types, sometimes there's generalizations and there's, um, you know, it's it could be discriminatory if you don't use it correctly or have that data validation somehow. Um, a little bit outside of the scope of information security, but, um, and one of my staff members did um, play around with... <laughs> just like David said, like, what can this do? And he's like, I created so many things in such a small period of time. This is scary. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of threats. And and SISA just put out an alert um, around misinformation and, and being careful as to, you know, what data is being spread also. Um, so that's another another large concern. Thanks, Maggie. That's great. Fantastic. Well, we're about uh, through our discussion here. We have uh, Lucas questions from the audience. Um, anything that stands out? We can ask yeah. our panel. Not seen any yet. So everyone feel free to ask a few, but I have a couple follow-ups personally, um, just kind of continuing some of the AI discussion. The first being around, you know, I know a couple of you have gone through exams so far this year. As your examiners, uh, you know, did they bring it up at all? Did they mention it? Did they question it? Um, any feedback on that? I think People would love to hear about i asked i was asked if we block it but it didn't go any further with that and they were very specific they said do you block chat gpt and i don't feel like that came from a uh question or a, a you know a, i hate to say a checkbox but a checkbox that they had I, I think it was just something they started with that it's probably discussions obviously that they're having internally and it more so just kind of sparked the hey be, be prepared uh, be prepared for this My CEO actually asked that specific question as well, um, pretty early on in this process. And I think that that came from a conversation from another institution where somebody was trying to do some data manipulation and copied and pasted a bunch of CSS or CV, CSV data into chat GPT to get the right query to make that happen. Um, on my side, when I, our examiners asked about AI, they were asking, do we have policies around it? And, I, and we had actually started the process. Uh, we have a draft policy that's kind of making its way through some senior leadership to make sure that they all like it and it covers what needs to be covered. We know that it's not going to be set in stone as, as a, like, this is probably the first iteration and, and next year there will probably be a revision to it because things will change. But we had that in the works. And so when we told the examiner that, they just dropped everything and said, okay, you're on the right path. So. so Maybe how about from your end? Any exam feedback questions, audit questions around it yet? 
Um, we haven't had an exam in, in about a year. We're on an 18-month schedule, so it's a little bit different. Um, but when the topic came up, the first thing we said is, where's the risk assessment? Um, let's get that in place. Let's see if we need any specific policies around it, if we are going to use it. Um, you know, in my mind, the technology itself, it's very similar to using Google as a search engine. It's just, you know, that times, you know, exponential. Um, so, yeah, for us, that, those are the steps that we're taking so far. Awesome. And I'll ask one additional question. If, you know, again, continuing down that path, if, if AI could replace any piece of your job on the risk and compliance side of things, what would it be? What, what would you say, okay, this, this is my dream. I could get rid of this risk compliance, tedious task. Um, what would that be? Create the board reports. <laughs> if they could just create those board reports uh, for me, that would be fantastic. Awesome. I mean, for me, it's just any operational task. I don't, I don't like doing the same thing yeah. over and over and over. <laughs> so any repeated tasks, <laughs> right? No repeated tasks. Yeah. Validating evidence would be huge. I don't know how often you have evidence and you've got to go validate it, right? And it's like, oh, I've seen this again. I saw that last year. You know, if I could just confirm that if it's the same evidence, it's hitting the right things, then it can move on with life and I don't have to touch it and see it. Well, that, that's a good one. That one's in the works. So uh, yeah. hopefully a few more months <laughs> and you'll get to, uh, get to take advantage of that one. Awesome. Super Those cool. are my only questions. And Taylor, I don't know. I'm not seeing any additional from the audience here. Awesome. Well, let's wrap it up. Thanks everyone for attending. Thank you to the panel, David, Justin, and Maggie. Uh, super interesting conversation. I, I know uh, the recording will distribute, so you'll get a copy of the recording afterwards, folks. And uh, I'll, I learned a ton. I have a bunch of notes on my end. So thank you for, for sharing your wealth of wisdom and perspective. Um, thanks everyone for attending. Uh, once again, check uh, your email for the recording and uh, we'll see you next month for our next event. Thanks again, everyone. Awesome. Thank you Thank guys. You. Thanks, Taylor. See you. See you guys.